Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the FinTV podcast. I'm joined today by three out of four of the authors of this amazing new book, which I don't know if you can see here, which is Digital Supply Networks. Uh, it's, as you can see, I've read it. I've got tons of little notes here because there is a lot to pack in, a lot of great um, real world practical information. So I'm not going to do the introductions. I'll let you guys do the introductions. So why don't we start? Uh, Amit, you start first. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Amit Sinha. I'm working currently as a specialist leader at Deloitte Consulting in US. I have been working in supply chain and business process and technology transformation for last 13 years with consulting firms and have done multiple uh, multi-year projects on business process and tech transformation. In addition, I have been researching and writing on this topic and one of the book is in your hand right now. Okay, great. Torsten? Um, yeah, Maria, thanks so much for having us. This is truly exciting. Um, well, you can probably tell by my accent and my name. I'm from Germany originally. Um, and uh, my earliest connection to logistics and, and supply chain was in the army, quite fitting as it is a, it stemmed from, from that field. And after that, I, uh, I got a master's PhD in industrial engineering. Um, Venturing out to New Zealand, got a master's in business as well. Um, and uh, since 2015, I moved to the U.S. to West Virginia University, where I'm an assistant professor um, in smart manufacturing. Um, that's my field. And uh, quite recently, I was um, uh, named one of the 20 top influencing professors in smart manufacturing. And within this author group, well, I'm covering the field of smart manufacturing and AI, I guess. Lovely. Raphael? Yeah, pleasure to be here today. Um, so, Rafael Calderon, my partner with Deloitte. Um, I've been in supply chain for about 20 years, uh, industrial engineer and business school education, and been in consulting probably about maybe 15 of the 20 years that I've worked. Uh, so, I had a chance to spend time in industry, had a chance to, to do consulting. Uh, very passionate about this. Today, I lead um, Deloitte's global synchronized planning and fulfillment practice. So, everything has to do with planning all the way to fulfillment across all industries. So get a chance to see a lot of very exciting things that are happening in the world of, of digital supply networks. You know? So my expertise really is around um, supply chain strategies, but also synchronization across the whole value chain. And it's a truly, truly a great time to be in supply chain today. So hopefully we can have an exciting conversation. Well, let's get, let's get started. I mean, why write this book and why write it now? So uh, just to add, when we had the concept of the book, COVID-19 was not there. <laughs> but as the author group, we, we were seeing and in our work that supply chain has been transforming at a very vast pace. And many industries and companies have been doing, they have been digitizing the process, the current process. And we at Deloitte and multiple other research and consulting firm, uh, we have been telling that if you just digitize the current process, the gains will come, but it will not be extensive. So we need to re-imagine. And that was not new. There were multiple papers and people talking digitization is required. But how does it look like? Somebody had to fill the gap. So where we made the team 
and we told okay reimagination is required how does this reimagine process look like these are the technologies and not only the name you have to understand the managerial concepts this is the playbook and these are the use cases and we must thank multiple people so the fourth name you know but there are dozens of people behind the scene the professors the industry leaders the consulting professionals who have helped us while reviewing and helping the book while we were writing this has been a very hands-on experience hasn't it it has been yeah yeah extremely hands-on i think to add to what amit said um, when when we think about digital supply networks, uh, one of the things I really noticed with my clients is people were struggling to find out how do I start, what do I what do I use first. There's so much information on it, what's reputable, what's not. How do I make sense of it? So it was really a um, almost a, a a energy that kind of drove us together to say we're addressing a need that in the market today exists for both executives and students. Everybody sees this transformation happening, but nobody quite has an ability to efficiently be able to understand what do I need to know to really be able to harness what's really happening. So it was really an opportunity to kind of help people say, here's a handbook for you to understand the foundations, but also understand what are the pieces that you need to absolutely inquire more about that pertain to your particular situation so you can put you in the right path. And we try to make it very hands-on. We try to also include a chapter where there's actually a roadmap in terms of how to go uh, and execute this. So hopefully trying to address that, which we felt was a huge need in the market today. And, you know, when COVID happened, it was just perfect for us because it was like, you know what, this is hopefully going to let people say, there's got to be a better way. And, and there's got to be a better way to do supply chain. And, and I think it's been a nice, uh, a nice um, synergistic process of what's happening in the market and kind of what we put out there. And, and we've seen a lot of intake because of it. Maybe just to, to add a few thoughts here um, from the, the side of Ed and myself as, uh, as professors and more from the academic side. Um, from, from our work, we do a lot with small and medium-sized companies, but also bigger corporations on the AI machine learning field in the, in the manufacturing process. And what we saw is that um, data is, uh, is the fabric that, that aligns across the different tiers of, uh, of the traditional supply chain, but also of the supply network. And so far, a lot of companies are struggling with figuring out, okay, there are these technologies, Gartner and whoever tells them you have to invest, you have to invest or you fail, but nobody tells them how to. So um, they say, okay, we need um, a task force on AI. Then they get AI. Yeah, they, they will do it, but it's probably not the process that is most aligned with uh, creating value for, for themselves, but also for the broader chain. And I think that is what most excites me of, uh, of this team, that we have the practitioners, that we have the, what Amit said, behind the scenes, the, the companies that told us their struggle and what they, they thrive to do and what problems they need to solve. And this alignment of tactical and strategic um, uh, objectives, I think that's, that's key. And I, I feel, and the feedback uh, supports that claim, uh, that we address that rather well, to not say, okay, we hone in on one technology, you have to use that technology. Technology is second understand your problem and understand your objective. And then there are technologies that can support that. And here is a way of how to assess what is your objective, because they're different from industry, from company, from, from company culture. Um, and here, how you can figure out what are the right technologies to use to achieve your objective in the future, in the long term. And that comes back to COVID. Right now, companies invest heavily because they have to, to track social distancing. Ford uses variables, Amazon uses vision AI. But um, they, the short-term money doesn't really play a big, big role because they have to, otherwise they can't open. So 
the decision process is a little streamlined. Um, but COVID will, will blow over. And then what do we do with this technology then, that they invested exactly. in? Exactly. How can we align that with the long-term business objectives? And, and I feel our book is a great resource to, to get that thinking started. We will not solve it for each individual company with a book, but we get the people in the right mindset, I believe. Yeah. I think, I think one thing that Thor said, Maya, is really important is, is this COVID will pass. Um, but what we're saying is Black Swan events are just becoming the norm. Every year we have something that is a disruptor. And some industries are, you know, hit most than others. But it is essential nowadays to think about this concept of resiliency and be able to understand how do we use digital technologies to really create a resilient supply chain that is able to sustain the type of uh, impact that we see with climate change, with uh, all kinds of political unrest, uh, you know, the, now a, a, a pandemic. So what are the kinds of things that I can do to really bring my supply chain to a level where virtually I can continue to do things when physically I have some constraints that I have to deal with. So that I think is a tremendous opportunity to really rethink. And I've always thought that disruption causes tremendous innovation. So that is a, a, a really important thing to, uh, to do nowadays in supply chain. Can I take it back to the basics, first of all? Because I mean, I want to pull it, pull it all the way back. I have been talking to my network about digital transformation for quite some time. Uh, we have thrown words about digitization, digital transformation. What is the definition of it? Because there are different definitions. And I read in your book, one of the first things you do is give us what that trans, you know, what the digital transformation definition is according to you. Who wants to take that? I can, I can take it. And to, to keep the simple and make it worthwhile without making the things complicated, the digital transformation, the way we have defined, use the technology, enabling technology to serve your customer better to run your operations uh, more optimized and collaborated and automated manner and to create a network of innovation. So these, these are the goals for any organization to do better and to service customer. First, put your customer at the center, how you are involving customer in the decision making, product design, whatever we do. Then you have a lot of operations. How can we make that operation transparent, automated and intelligent? And then how can I make a broader network of innovation with the partner, with my suppliers, with my organization, with my customer. And to enable it, there are a lot of technology. And another thing we have captured in the book, and thanks to Thor for pointing that out initially, it's not a new term. See, go 20 years back, we started ERP and we told, hey, sales and marketing and production needs to be connected. I'll create a ERP system. That's good. Then we moved from transactional to analytical. We started talking about the planning and SRM. And now the new technology which we are seeing is AI, ML, blockchain. All of them can be integrated to again serve the basic purpose. How I'm treating my customer better, how I'm doing my operations better, an innovative network, while still having a broader or a better impact on the environment or the entire stakeholders. If my operations are better, I create less waste and I create a better footprint on the environment. And there are multiple case studies we have captured in the book. Do you know one of the things that I like? I'm sorry, just- Sorry, sorry no, no, Torsten, go ahead. But, but what Ami just mentioned, um, as you see, we took a very practical and applied definition. Uh, on the academic side, I'm very aware of the discussion of digitization, digitalization, digital transformation, and all the other terms that, that have nuances that differ. And uh, 
within the author team having two academics with Ed and I and, and uh, Amit and Rafa um, on, the, on the consulting and, and applied side, um, which was great because that discussion emerged in, in saying, okay, we should not overcomplicate this. This is not an yeah. a, a academic paper that is peer reviewed and, and will drive the state of the art. It's a paper, uh, it's a book that it's apply, uh, it's, it helps practitioners to understand it in an applied manner, what it, how it will influence their daily work, their thinking. And that's why we, we took the, uh, the approach that Amit described. Okay, very practical, okay. Let me tell you something. One of the things that I really liked about, well, about the book was the fact that you give a lot of real practical examples of what people should expect, what people should do. You talked about, I think at the beginning, that there, were so much, there was so much anxiety around digital transformation or digital technology. Uh, so many questions. Do the same rules for supply chain still apply? You know, are there new rules for supply chain? Uh, do you think that this book goes away to helping people understand that or yeah. answer those questions? I'll take that on and then uh, my colleagues can compliment. I think so. I think that what we try to tell people is supply chain, supply chain as a fundamental problem of uh, fulfilling customer service as some optimal cost equation or sustainable cost equation and asset efficiency is exactly the same. It hasn't changed. I think what you have today is there's a lot of dormant, static information that is now alive. So in the past, we would have a number of assets, for example, in a manufacturing floor or there would be transportation assets or products moving, and you, you couldn't capture what was really happening with that. With smart technology, you can put sensors and you can activate and bring basically, imagine like you had a dark forest and just illuminated and you start to see a bunch of things that you just couldn't see before. So now you have all these different things that are just now available and that just opened up a whole realm of possibility in terms of the type of optimization that we can do. So instead of me, for example, having a machine operator going in and, and tweaking the, the knobs, I just, I've done it for 20 years, I'm gonna tweak the knobs and give the maximum, the optimal setting. Now I got a computer program that's basically doing this 24 hours a day and figuring out what is the right configuration of that machine. Take that same concept, put it on an inventory model for how to optimize safety stock, put it on demand forecasting and how I do a particular demand forecasting process for a company. Every single problem of supply chain is still the same, but the variables and the information are disposable to solve it are extremely more powerful. Hence, enabling you to achieve levels of performance that you just couldn't do before. Yeah. I'd like to add yeah, one go ahead, Amit. Document. What we really wanted not to create a parallel. Okay, this is the supply chain concept. This is the digital supply network concept. So what we did from the very start of the book, we start, let's define the supply chain. Plan, source, make, deliver, return. What are the problems of supply chain? Or more, what are the value opportunities? And then if you go to separate chapter, suppose, for example, sourcing. So we have defined how sourcing happened when we define the supply chain. And these are the concept of sourcing. Why these are not adding so much value? Now let's talk about the DSN. So what we are helping the readers, and that's why this book is also relevant for students with professional. This is the supply chain definition. These are the gaps or value opportunity. Now let's redefine it and calling it digital supply network. We understand many of the industries and organizations will still call it supply chain and we are fine with that. What we really want that see the new perspective. Even if you stick with the name, understand it's a network now, the chain will always sub-optimize your process. Well, you, you talk about the interconnected supply network, don't you? You know, you, you yeah. inter the, the interconnected supply chain model, that's, that's what you talk about there. Yeah. So how did you, you know, come up with digital supply network and what is it? What's your view on that? Where, what is the digital supply network? 
Rafa, you want to go first? Yeah, so DSN, so DSN was a concept. Um, so the digital supply network, so Adam Musumeli, who's, a, who's our leader of supply chain in the US, uh, he amongst other colleagues uh, some years back uh, started to toy around with this, with this idea. And they coined this term digital supply network and started to use it to redefine this world uh, that we were seeing and trying to think about the, the key concept behind it was this concept of the digital thread, which is that I can interconnect all of the entities in an ecosystem through a, through a, 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 a channel and put this all on the same playing field so we can all do things across the full entire system rather than doing things in our little buckets. Because if you think about the way that things are structured today, whether it's your organizational model, whether it's your uh, processes, your information systems, everything is in little buckets. So what they were talking about was, what if we could unite all of this into a single thread of information and be able to share information across, run simulations across, what would that, what would that do? So I think that's the, the, the digital piece came from the understanding that we were taking digital to physical and physical to digital loops and taking information in, in, in physical ways and turning it into digital information or taking digital information and turning it into physical, physical movement. So that was a big part of that. And then what Ami talked about the network, it, that was really important because the chain was always this like domino thing where, you know, plan, make, source, deliver. The, the network is more around this back and forth information where I don't have to respect that order anymore. I can have a consumer doing something in the marketplace and I can take that signal real time and inject it into a product development process where in the past I was very far removed from that and there was a lot of stages between, right? So that ability to talk and intermingle across the elements, not just within my entity, but across all my suppliers, my consumers, my customers, that's the network, the network concept of this. And as we talked about in LinkedIn with a number of folks that have reviewed the book, there was a whole argument about, is it a supplier, is it demand driven or all that? Ultimately, if you don't supply, you can't really have a, you can really have a closed loop system. So it's okay to call it different names. The important thing for us in the book was to say, let's all get into this debate, but let's also all try to at least consider one position and then use that to kind of, from there, evolve to what you think applies to your particular company. And we understand that this is a very dynamic debate at the moment. Well, you also talk about in the book about this is the collapse of the linear supply chain. You know, uh, uh, do you, when did that happen? I mean, <laughs> is it because we have a new connected customer, as you say, you know, the, the, the demands, the uh, technological advancements? What led us here? So three things, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll pass it over. I think that... I think, first of all, today you can do things, the computational power today has, has, has you know, tremendously increased our ability to process a tremendous amount of information simultaneously. I think that the advances that we have in terms of computing memory, but also the amount of, amount of information we can process real time and then computing power, I think has really changed the game. If you take cloud and what cloud has done is that it's enabled us to really be able to provide computing power and memory to entities that would never have the ability to do that. So by, by virtue of enabling the cloud everywhere, I think now I can sit down in a small company in sometime in Wisconsin and I can access AWS or Google or Azure and I can get access to a supercomputer and I can do things that I would never be able to dream to do with my capabilities. And I can run algorithms on my demand or algorithms on my supply that I would never have the data scientist resources to be able to, to do. So I think that that, um, you know, that created the platform for this. 
And then I think what you also started to see was all of these different sensors and all these different technologies that started to create this live information and this connection, it started to make it a lot easier to interchange information between the entities, breaking down the linear aspect of supply chain and becoming more this interconnected chain of communication that happens really ad hoc and as needed across all elements of the ecosystem and the supply chain. I don't know, Thor, I mean, do you guys want to add anything to that? One thing I'd like to add, first, it's convergence of many things. Most important is the demand and value opportunity. Again, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, let's go back and see the, your concepts of supply chain. The way we say, okay, I put my processes, I know there are uncertainties, that's why I start putting inventory at every places. And then I will say economy of scope, economy of scale. If you draw your customer service uh, quality with the cost, it's going to be very, very high so that you have to compromise on your service quality and a lot of stuff. So there was uh, some gaps, which was good. And then many things got converged. The way Rafa explained our sensors, they become very cheap, some cents. And then ability to compute and then the cloud computing, you don't have to have a big infrastructure, you can do it. And then another thing happened in parallel, the digitization and everybody having a mobile phone and my drive to have a product which is customized for me. Why you did design, plan, source, put in a retail store, then I went and buy, can you involve me during the process? And yes, we can. So there are a lot of convergence. Our, all, our, all the supply chain managers drive to understand what's happening, where it's happening. And there we are saying total transparency, total control, and as much uh, intelligence as is possible with your different models. And there it happens, the collapse, when we are putting everything together for the good of the entire stakeholder. Thorsten, you wanted to say something? Yes, just, uh, just one little thing to, <clears throat> to add to that great explanation. Um, first of all, I think, or in my mind, and, and I'm, I'm more for manufacturing than, than supply chain, but, but my big, big aha moment was that um, when, when I think supply chain, I think a lot of the material moving through the, the different tiers and the different factories in and out coming from supply uh, from manufacturing might be a little biased. But now the important aspect is not necessarily the physical good anymore. I mean, information was always a big part of supply chain. Uh, nevertheless, now the data core is, is the new yeah, uh, gold or new pot of gold, so to speak, that platform, because it enables so much, but it's not a solved thing. Like, we now can collect a lot of data, but what data should we collect? How long should we store it? How should we analyze it? Who gets access to it? What is the value of it along the supply chain? Who gets, like, let's, let's uh, play that, that um, Gedanken experiment that uh, a tier two supplier provides data that really enables the, the OEM to, to save, I don't know, 20% of cost or, or delivers better, better uh, quality to the customer. So they can, can make more, more profit, right? But will that profit be shared with the tier two supplier who provides the data? There's a lot of questions in there that, that we want to make people aware of and think of that are beyond the, the traditional um, supply chain, uh, as far as I know. And I think that's the collapse. Like the collapse of that typical thinking of supply chain is now, we, we have to rethink that. And, and mm -hmm. I think that's the, what we mean with collapse. The materials still move from, from facility to facility, obviously, um, but the facilities might change, like we might be yeah. more dynamic. And right. that's, I guess, also the, the theoretical part of the more resiliency, uh, because in a chain, the weakest link, I mean, that metaphor is around for a long time, 
uh, in a network, you have one node and you might be able to replace it because you might have some redundancy. You have the data in the cloud. So when one company, I don't know, is, is affected by a hurricane, uh, the, the data might be accessible and we can rapidly readjust the network because it's dynamic. And, uh, and that is a, a huge change in, in how we view that in my mind. Right, and Maria, if you notice, because uh, I was thinking about your question in terms of when did it happen? You know, it's funny how, how transformations happen. You, you, I think this has been evolving and, and, and the rate of change of it is extremely much more accelerated than any other transformation that we've seen in the past. So you were able, you know, I've been in consulting for 20 years almost, and you could almost in the past kind of always stay ahead of everybody just by researching. Nowadays, we even within our field, we, we're struggling to stay ahead because it's so much advancement. You know, a company might be doing something in January and three months later, they've developed all these new, all these new capabilities. So I think that there's, it's a framework in terms of how to think about this that has changed. And one of the very uh, specific examples is, think about the economy and how it's all distributed now. When I, when, I, when I think about any asset, I can partition that asset and I can sell pieces of the asset to anybody because I can connect to anybody in a much easier way. So if, I'm a, if I have a skill, I can distribute myself across the whole world instantaneously through the internet and sell my skills everywhere. So that is a very powerful thing and that's completely changing the game for, for everybody where companies are saying, wait a second, why do I have to own my manufacturing network? Why can I just outsource everything and keep a very agile, very flexible you know, network? Um, why do I have to have, or, you know, why do I need to have a, a permanent workforce of people? Why don't I just you know, hire these different skills when I need them? Um, why do I need to solve this problem over and over again? Why don't I just automate this and have a computer take over and do this for me so I don't have to you know, constantly retrain people on this? And how do I use my human capital for what they're good at and my computers for what they're good at too? So I think that that is really changing the game in terms of the options that companies have today in terms of how to structure themselves. And it really begs the question on how you should re reinvent yourself to really take advantage of what's really out there. And that, that, that to me is, is so exciting in terms of uh, this field. Well, it's a and, complete uh, change of paradigm, isn't it? It's a complete okay. change of paradigm. And so it's requiring different, different types of thinking. Sorry, Thurston, you were gonna say something. Yeah, I just want to add to what Rafa said, because I think this is an extremely important point and, uh, and very close to my heart. And I want to make sure that we're not misunderstood, that we try to, to, to create a gig economy in manufacturing and supply chain. I, I believe that is not what we're saying. We're just saying that companies need to, to think how they can, can access skills, how they can make skills available dynamically and scale them, because that's all possible. But in the book, as you, as you know, we also talked about the degree of automation, the optimal degree of automation. Uh, having 100% automation or, or fully uh, yeah, capable AI is not always the best. Mm. There might be a, a, a certain degree that, that makes sense to automate dangerous, repetitive, and so on tasks, and keep the, the tasks uh, in hands of qualified, loyal, motivated, uh, and skilled uh, operators that know their, yep. their task and have, have that loyalty to the company. So as you, a, as, you, as you say in the book, as, I, as you say in the book, what happens when things go wrong, you know, with, with AI and, and with machine learning, you know, what, what, who's to blame here when, uh, when something happens that, uh, that you can't predict or what have you. Um, can we talk about the failures of digital transformation for a second? Because there's lots of stats about failures. I even keep hearing people telling me about how digital transformation hasn't lived up to the hype. I've got a theory and I'm not an expert. It, but I've got a theory that I believe a lot of these 
digital transformation endeavors or pursuits have been done so through the wrong reasons. In other words, for the sake of digitizing. Technology first, for the sake of technology. One of the things that I love that you say in your book is that the center stage of digital transformation is and should be customers and the value created for them. Do you think that a lot of the digital transformation projects fail because they fail to look at that? I'll start because I have a lot of, you know, um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of my clients struggle with this. The, if you put yourself in the position of, let's say, a, a chief supply chain officer, um, you know, they're being bombarded in terms of, you know, the, uh, where the board, you know, somebody in the board read some article, passed it down to the CEO, said, are we doing this? CEO takes that, you know, sends it out and says, are we doing this? Uh, there is so much pressure on, on, on these officers to show that they're acting and that they're doing something and that they're not just sitting around. And in many times, I think people were trying to figure out where we start. To, to, they need to show some activity. So consulting companies started talking about this concept of dabbling. Just, just try it. Fail fast and do this. So I think people just started experimenting without really knowing why, why or wow. Just, just do something. You know, let's try something. Um, as, as, as people have started to understand this problem better, we've started to realize it's actually the same thing that has always been around anything we do, any type of investment. You know, what, what is the problem? And Thor said it correctly. What is the problem we're trying to solve? And what a lot of companies have realized is this is a great way to create that digital thread with the consumer to actually get close to what the consumer is trying to do. Because I, Amit mentioned this, consumers, which is also what drove a lot of this transformation, Consumers have used to, and I, I call it the Amazon effect, you know, which is this, this idea that is I can get anywhere, anytime, how I want it. If I don't like it, I return it. If I don't like what I, I can call back and send it back or have me you know, change my price. And I think that totally changed the equation for companies. So what, what that led is for companies to say, gosh, how do I become more responsive to that consumer that is changing so much and that then led to the rethinking of every step. So I think what we find now is a lot of these projects are starting to develop a story, a theme, you know, something that connects them all into something that eventually leads to this idea of customer centricity. But I think in the, I think in the, at the beginning is exactly what you said. It was a bunch of just shooting things in the dark and see what stuck. Um, but I think people are starting to learn uh, very fast. Um, at least in some of my clients, I think there's, there's more of an impetus to create a story, a narrative, some, some sense of what is the business case around it, because you're right, a lot of investments, you know, ROIs were questionable. People just couldn't realize how, what exactly are we trying to accomplish with these particular things that we're doing. I don't know if others have any comments on that. I, I'd say that, uh, and thank, thanks for both of you, you covered it pretty well. Higher level is like three things, consumer, leadership, and vision. We, we talked a lot about consumer, Consumer has to be at the center of transformation. Second, leadership. When, whenever we are thinking about this transformation, there are a big change. First thing, are we sold out? Even from the upside of the hierarchy, are we sold out? I'm going on this path or I'm doing it for some quick gains or just because I have to do. And if I'm sold out, my leadership team, then we have to create a vision where we are. If I need to create a transformation, is my basic processes connected or not? Do I have like sales and uh, production and manufacturing and uh, sourcing connected? Am I creating enough data? If I'm creating enough data, how will I take it forward? Am I thinking about the design thinking? Am I thinking about 
my business case? Did I create a business case? And when I worked on that case, am I reviewing it continuously? Is this still valid? If it's valid, I'll move. If it's not, why did it fail? Do I need to change something and have to give up? So we have to do in a very uh, methodical manner with total involvement of the leadership with a learning culture, understand that the new skills will be different than the current one. If these things will be missing, the transformation efforts will fail. And um, just to add from a theoretical perspective a little bit, um, having a lot of uh, experience with companies in the digital transformation stage, because smart manufacturing is basically that on the, on the manufacturing mm -hmm. floor and beyond. Um, what Rafa said, I think, is, uh, is oftentimes, at least in the last few years, uh, one of the center points. The CEO wants to shake hands with a robot or pictures. And uh, we see that a lot. And then companies buy two or three cobots or robotic systems. Um, and I quite frankly sometimes tell them like, oh, what do you need it for? What, what problem does it solve? And when they can't tell me, I say like, hey, then the marketing department should pay for this, not, not the production budget, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I can say that because I'm external, the production manager knows that, but they, they often have to bite their tongue, obviously. But, but that's, I think, the type of thinking that we have to be aware of. Um, what is that? Is it a technology push? And why is that push happening? Is it because it solves a problem or is it because it's um, fashionable or, or some leadership has, has that heard it, had read an article, read our book? <laughs> Hopefully then they will do it differently. But uh, what, what are the reasons behind it? And um, I, I'm kind of uh, changing my mind on that a little bit of if that's a problem or not per se when, a, when something fails like that. Because a big, big issue, as, at least in smaller manufacturers, is we need to build that digital skill, that capability of implementing technology, interacting with technology. So even a failed project, when they install a robot and it does not really improve output or quality or, or something like that, we get our, our maintenance workers, our, our uh, production planners interact with that technology and learn. And when, they're, when they stay with our, in our company, they have that skill. And when we finally have figured out what the problem is that we want to solve, they have that skill and can apply it more rapidly. The second uh, thing I just wanted to point out quickly is, is that short-term, long-term perspective. Um, a, a few projects that I saw fail or fail in, in the traditional sense because they were not continued was because um, they promised the world and didn't deliver in the time frame that was um, projected uh, in, a, in, a, in a very unrealistic sense. Like they said, yeah. oh, in six months, it will totally reinvent this and we will have an output 20% higher because we install that now. Six months, that's ridiculous. Uh, mm -hmm. They probably got a, deliver, a delivery lead time of, of three months for that robotic system. Then testing it, setting it up, everything, it takes time. So that's probably because of all the hype, because there's still all this hype around digital yeah. transformation and, uh, you know, this, this idea that it's going to be the panacea, it's going to solve all of your problems, right? And then the vendors are more than happy to say like, oh, yeah, of course, we can do it in six months, uh, knowing that it's unrealistic, but they want to get the contract. So, of course, there's, <laughs> there's that, that incentive. But um, it's, it's just not, not very realistic. Or I haven't seen many examples of unrealistic timelines really pan out. And then somebody has to be blamed and, and they, they want to cut the project because, yeah, it's, somebody has to, to make that decision and they want to be a strong leader. So when, when, when we're involved early with, uh, with my group, what we normally try to do is to, to make a, a plan of short and long-term objectives that we want to reach. Have some sh uh, short-term wins. And that can be very mm -hmm. simple, but they should be quantifiable. Because uh, 
the, the non-quantifiable wins of, of these technology innovations or digital transformation projects are hard to measure and hard to, to put on a, on a spreadsheet or a, a, you know, a, a executive summary. So we need some, some numbers that, that improve and figuring that out before you start the project is key. And then wow. long-term ones are the important ones, but they, they, they don't reflect within the, the budget period. So combining that and aligning tactic and strategy is, is essential to have a successful project. And a lot of them today fail in that. Yeah, the Rafa, you the were gonna say, yeah, you were yeah, gonna say something. Yeah, but what I was gonna say, the narrative is key, right? So you, you gotta have a story. You gotta have a story that holds. And there's also, I think what I've seen is there's, there, there's a transformation in the way, you need to transform the way you think about ROI. So the, the, the best analogy is the private equity mindset. So when you go in private equity, you might have a portfolio of 20 projects. Some of them might be complete dogs and complete failures. And some of them are, they gave you returns that you never thought. Overall, the portfolio gave you a nice ROI. Mm -hmm. So I think we got to think about DSN as a collection, as a, as a basket of projects and assess the full portfolio, give ourselves a realistic horizon and understand that a piece of this is about moving capability, which is really hard to, you know, like cleaning data, putting in a cloud. It, you can't really justify that, but there's going to be, that's going to create a foundation for you to then be able to do things that are they going to drive the value. So what is that story? What is the roadmap? And what are those specific investments that we're going to make? And when do I see that value so that I can inject enough excitement into the story so I can keep bringing exciting stories and narratives, vignettes, to keep the people, the investor community, in this case, the, 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 the dealership team, excited about the project. So you might say, you know, we're, it's going to take us three years to do this, but every three months, I'm bringing you something, something mm -hmm. that excites the CFO. And the CFO says, okay, I'm going to keep writing checks because I can see already some wins, whether it's we got our forecast accuracy up by 10 points or we were able to reduce our inventory days by X, you know. So I think it's a very important to what Tor says, take the time to think about those objectives. What are those, what is the pace of improvement that you expect? What are those metric improvements that you want to put put times on them, and that then sets the stage for the rhythm of the transformation. And that's a truly important aspect to make sure that your, your, plan, your, your portfolio of projects don't fa doesn't fail on a, on a particular project that particular didn't, maybe didn't meet the objectives. I think that's very valuable advice. Let's talk about the skill sets uh, at the moment. You know, the role of the chief supply chain officer or the skill set of uh, the supply chain team, manufacturing team right now needed for this new era of digital transformation, the digital supply network. What's important? Uh, first, if you see the skill set from the organization, total perspective, top to bottom, is the mm -hmm. learning. And one thing we have called in the book, there's a chapter full on the skill set and how it, the impact is coming, is the digital skills. Yeah. Uh, and, and they are different. So if I'm talking about the chief supply chain officer, the most important skill is still leadership. Still yes. leadership, having the team behind me and ability to create a team with the learning culture and with the business sense, what Thor and Rafa were explaining that it has to be a business case understand and our research says that more than 90% of the project had the deviation like more than 50% what the number I told and where I'm matching so be ready for the deviation and still understand how it's going on saying that uh, we don't want our chief supply chain officer to be the data scientist but they have some they have good knowledge of basic principle 
and the basics of the technology and to be have the ability to understand the business case and now let's come to the team of the managers and uh, staff member who are implementing that so they must have the digital skill they must uh, one thing is less of the skill more for ability to change understand the way i have been doing the business for last 20 years may not be the optimum manner so i am i'm ready to change i'm ready to understand what these technologies can do for me and then working with the full team during uh, mm -hmm. the customer so most of the soft skills or almost all of the soft skills are still valid and yeah. then you have to add that pointers of the new digital and tech skills and i'm pretty sure thor and rafa would like to add here yeah as a as an educator uh, just a few thoughts and um i i feel that what what amit said and, and you probably heard that as well it's it's not rocket science in that sense um what what the change here is we just re-emphasize that um the the typical typical human ingenuity becomes probably even more important than it was before the problem solving and the critical thinking i think critical thinking is uh, is becoming um the the top skill in in my mind because we get supplied so much information, so many insights, and a lot of them are produced by automated systems, like by machine learning algorithm, often black box systems, like a neural network. And we have a prediction and we can either take it at, at the value that it's presented, say, okay, we rely on that, or we know on what data it's based on, you know, is the data good, then the, the prediction is probably pretty good. The black swan event, we didn't have historic data, so most prediction models most likely failed mm -hmm. because, they are based on a different uh, database, uh, like a, a base of data, right? Uh, historical data. Uh, so the algorithm could not predict that. Um, and, and having that mindset to say, okay, I, I get all these numbers and saying like, oh, we have a lead time of, of seven days and we have to do this. Uh, the computer always provides you black and white insights. Um, but, but then understanding that there's a big gray area in between and, and put that into perspective and align that with your, your leadership uh, skills and your your gut feeling, your experience. Um, I think that is a key skill that, that will, uh, will make a successful leader in the future. How that is being taught, um, we are working on that, but uh, there's no, we, we have to see if it's the right way. I think uh, continuous, continuous learning, like being, being open-minded and, and listening to people, educating yourself. There's a bunch of resources out there, like your podcast or, or micro, mm -hmm. micro lectures uh, that, that give you, you know, pointers and, and uh, keep you at the, the pulse of time um, because it's such a rapidly developing field. We have explainable AI right now at the, the hype of the Gartner cycle. I'm excited about that, but we will see how it really pans out, right? Well, I was, uh, I was just going to say right now, technology still can't give you that critical thinking, can it? So for now, we still have that advantage and, uh, and, and, and having that as a skill is, I think that will never, oh, well, I should not say never, never say never, but I think that's years or decades ahead. Like uh, this critical thinking that humans have, uh, that, that makes us unique and uh, tasks change, jobs mm -hmm. will remain um, because we need the human to program the AI, to interpret the results, to make the decisions, to be responsible, to, to, uh, to make risk decisions. A computer might take him, but yeah, yeah. We, we still need the human expert. Let, let's talk about, and we haven't really, we've touched upon it, but let's talk about uh, COVID and black swans event, uh, swan events. We've seen that disruption is, it just happens. It has happened forever, but this kind of level of mass disruption uh, is unheard of, isn't it? So um, 
Do you think that having this kind of digital supply network and, and, and mastering the uh, digital transformation of supply chain helps to create resilient supply chains, helps to create agility? I saw there that you've got a lot of the reasons why implementing this is important, uh, more so now than ever. What, what, what do you say to that? With one word, yes, <laughs> I believe it does. <laughs> uh, and I think we actually see evidence of that. We see companies uh, such as Tesla or, or uh, Amazon who have like, you're digital in nature. You have that digital core in place who are basically a network in itself. I mean, Amazon has the marketplace where they have all these nodes who can supply uh, even in their own facilities. I mean, they're, they're great in innovating with AWS, but also with their Echo and, and other uh, hardware gadgets, IoT gadgets. So they, they have the skills to develop solutions to solve problems. And isn't that what resiliency is? Like to, to adapt uh, rapidly and uh, realign to make sure that your objectives are met. So the companies who are there already or closest to being a digital supply network fared much better than companies who did not. And um, another aspect of, of how, how we believe digital supply networks could or will help companies to um, to not predict black swan events, because that's the nature of black swan events, hard to predict, but uh, to, to adapt to them and be resilient about it. Uh, when we weather, think of, to weather them better, to weather them exactly, better, yeah. Exactly. Like when we think of kettleballs, apparently that, that was one of the items that, uh, that uh, surged in price for multiple reasons. One of them right. being uh, people worked out at We're home. At home. So yeah. They are them. Uh, and you might not know this, but most of them are manufactured in China uh, because designed here in the U.S., but the U.S. foundries cannot, are not automated enough and cannot provide them at the price tag that you're willing to pay for a kettlebell. Uh -huh. um, so, and then with the, the, the trade uh, being, being interrupted, there were not enough kettleballs, demand surged, so we had that, that uh, predicament. But with the digital supply network, when, when you could say, oh, we need these and these and these capabilities, what, what uh, network resources are able to provide that to us? You could build a whole new manufacturing network locally that, that is able to supply. Maybe mm -hmm. including Canada, including routes that are not dependent on the, the, the cross-Pacific travel. And, um, and there, there you go, that's your resiliency. You can still uh, fulfill your customers' demands. Yeah. But what COVID did, it exposed and broke those stuff which were already weak. Yes. What we were able to do because of the excess inventory and the way things were working. And nowadays, resiliency or resilient supply chain is so much used. And the basics, as Thor explained very well, what's the resiliency? If I have total transparency and if I can predict my failure before it happens, not only predict, able to take the action. If I'm predicting a stuff or a shipment will not come from China, but I have no other option. I'm totally dependent there. So even the predicting will not help much. And nowadays, in the past, there were multiple other decisions, but economics were the most important decision. Now there are other factors also getting back for the decision making for the leaders to consider the things in the longer and bigger perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, let me ask you last question, because I know we're pressed for, for time a little bit here, but um, what advice I mean, it's a big generic question, apart from uh, uh, pick up your book and read it, which is a good bit of advice, but what advice would you give the supply chain leader, um, maybe who's not at the highest level of the maturity model for digital transformation, and maybe they're not just getting started, but they're, they're, they're probably um, 
a little bit concerned about the hype of digital transformation and they don't know where to go now. What advice would you give uh, these leaders? Rafael, you want to start? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you have to understand that everything you've learned about supply chain in the last 20, 30 years of your career, whatever that is, um, you know, is, is valuable, but it's not going to get you there uh, for the next five years. I think that the supply chain methods and techniques and the way that we do things with what we have now available really requires you to take the time to learn and study and restudy because a lot of the mental models and biases and rules of thumb that you've developed um, might need some tweaking. Uh, and that is a fundamental aspect to have the ability to embrace the change that is needed to be able to stay ahead. Because if you're not doing it, your competition for sure is doing it. That will probably be the biggest uh, piece of advice that I would have for them. Amit? Uh, two, one thing I will take the points where Rafa ended. There is no option. You do it right now, you do it after a year, or the organization will not survive to do it. So first. Second thing, the advice which is more important, it's more of a value than the threat. Once you understand and that yes, change is necessary, you have to do that. There's a big value for, for your suppliers, for your employees, for your customers, and the bigger environment. And, mm -hmm. and then yes, read our book and understand. We have, we have spent many hours interviewing like 50 people on the playbook and strategy. And some of the pointers for sure is going to help. Great. Thorsten? Um, yeah, pick up our book. That's the first. Uh, but I have three others. Uh, the first one is to, to learn to walk before you run. Like, be, be accepting of uh, some projects will fail. As Rafa said, look at it from a portfolio perspective. And, and even the failure, when you say, oh, we want to implement um, a prediction model for XYZ, spend time looking at the data, data cleaning. How does it uh, impl uh, impact your prediction? That's, that's learning. That's very valuable learning that will serve you well in the future. So that's first, uh, walk before you run. The second one is don't do everything yourself. Get the right people on board within the company, uh, but also startups. Some of them are extremely agile, especially when you're in a, in a bigger corporation, team up with, a, with an agile startup. They're, they're extremely happy to have a, a reliable customer where, where they can get data and prove what they can do. And you get this this highly educated, agile, uh, tech-savvy um, yeah, partners, you know. Mm -hmm. So interns partner with uh, universities, have partners from, from consultancies like Deloitte. Like, understand your, your limitations. So partner up, team up. Don't think you have to do everything from scratch, everything yourself. And the third one, my, my third advice, and I, it's probably the most important one, is um, think about the problem and think about your strategic and tactic objectives. Like what's the short-term short wins that you can sh show the CFO to make sure that the, the long-term wins will be justified and, and can, be, can be leveraged and the project is not shut down prematurely to really show what it really is capable of. Like it sounds like, oh, well, why do we do that? These short-term wins are not, not as impactful as what we really want to achieve but you need them in order to be capable of achieving the long ones because um, it's, it's politics. Yeah. So these are the, my three, three things. <laughs> well, I want to thank all of you for being on here uh, on FinTV and sharing this information. Again, as I have the book, Digital Supply Networks, I really think that uh, people need to pick this up and actually get a, a, the guidebook, the handbook of how digital transformation is done. I, I really love that. I love the fact that everyone talks about digital transformation 
but what does it really look like? So uh, thank you so much for being on here. I appreciate it. And uh, for those of you watching at home, thank you for tuning into FinTV. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Maria. Take care.